Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and Keith Jones, KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, I'm still fired up about what I saw on Sunday night. we got a full show ahead. It'll be a good one. But uh, how are you doing, sir? I'm giddy. Is that is that a, appropriate for a 62-year-old, or is that dangerous to my health? Uh, probably both. I don't know if we should be fired up and giddy after a loss because we're not into moral victories, as we talked about in our show after the game. But I went back and watched the tape. And one thing I don't think I commented on, and even though I was on the field and it was evident, the swarming nature of the defense was a little more evident when I watched the TV and the, and the physicality of the game. So I felt better about the defense. Not that I felt bad when I left the stadium on Sunday night, but maybe more impressed aside from the bust early on. And we do have a quarterback question that we'll get to in this show. And there's also a question at center, not as to who's going to start, but we gotta we got to solve the snap issues because you shouldn't be losing a game or a chance at the end of regulation because of a poor snap. Well, you might have won a game, but when you have three or four or five, um, then that obviously becomes a problem. I, too, um, went back and processed, uh, and if, if some cornerbacks make some plays, in, whereas in years past we were saying that, that they weren't in position, well, they were in position, but now they got to make some plays. Did have the bust on the tight end. But I think, two, Coach Fuller, and they did an outstanding job about doing this, they set that defense to stop the run. They were going to make Notre Dame beat them with the pass because they had a first-year starter. Now, he's plenty of experience. He's to transfer in from Wisconsin. He, he performed well. But uh, you take something away, you give up something, uh, you got to hope that what you give up doesn't beat you too terribly. And and they took that to gamble, and they did well on run defense, and they uh, got some improvement to do on pass defense. We will be joined by Bob Frante, our Osceola insider, later, and we'll dive into the quarterback question, which is the obvious one that we've had ever since last December when Mackenzie Milton transferred to FSU. We'll also hear from Wes Durham, who is the voice of the Falcons, works for the ACC Network. He'll join us next segment. He's calling the TV game this weekend against Jacksonville State. My question to you, Keith, the one play defensively, a bust is going to happen. But in the second half, the third and 17, where Florida State sends six, and it's perfectly called by Notre Dame to execute the screen against it, what did you think about the aggression in that scenario? I thought it was the right call. Uh, They called the right play to counter it. I mean, those things happen. You've got to take some chances. I thought that call was much more defensible than uh, Coach Norvell going for it on fourth down, backed up. Uh, But either one of them are aggressive calls from a staff that's trying to get player buy-in, and I concede that and acknowledge that. 
We'll talk more about the fourth down call. Mike Norvell addressed that on Tuesday when he is, was asked about it again. He's going to be assertive and aggressive on fourth down. There's, there's no question about it. Uh, and, and even though Notre Dame scored, Florida State ended up tying the game. So we'll pontificate about that a little bit later on. Again, West Durham will join us next segment. Bob Ferrante from the Osceola is uh, coming up a little bit later on. Florida State 0-1, but uh, plenty to be optimistic about it. And we'll talk about it on this week's edition of Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you as we continue to talk Florida State football in the wake of a a thriller of a game against Notre Dame. Pleased to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to a longtime uh, friend of the program and friend in general, (laughs) the ACC Network and the Atlanta Falcons, uh, Wes Durham. How are you, sir? I'm great. It's good to see you guys. Look forward to maybe seeing you in person this weekend. Yeah, I'll point out for our listeners' sake that Wes will be on the TV call of the game this weekend, so he's headed to Tallahassee. General thoughts as you watched from your living room or sports bar or wherever you were. I know you were watching FSU Notre Dame on Sunday. Yeah, I was – first of all, I thought it was just an electric environment, which I anticipated. In fact, Mark and I talked on the show that we thought Blacksburg on Friday night and Tallahassee on Sunday night had a really good chance to take us full speed back into what we love about college football. And that's just the atmospheres and the environments. And clearly Blacksburg delivered on Friday night and, and Florida state and Tallahassee was just sensational to see the whole thing happen. I, I was impressed. I, I mean, you guys see every game. I don't, um, I thought it's the best they played in two years, easy two years, maybe longer than that, Keith and Tom, but um I liked what Coach Norvell has said leading up to the game. I thought the the young guys that had transferred into the program, certainly Jermaine Johnson helped at defensive end. Um, but I just thought you did a lot of things maybe you hadn't done in a couple of years a lot better than you had done it before. And that, to me, that counts in terms of the, of the rebuild or the rebound, if you will, to uh, what we've become Florida State uh, being in the past. Wes, I know they, the, the outsiders would look in and say, well, they didn't do that good a job against the pass, but that was a, a really good performance against a very good for, uh, Notre Dame running game. Mm. And I, I would suspect that was something that surprised all of us. Yeah, no, I thought, they, uh, I thought the, defensively they handled Kyron Williams about as well as you could hope for. There were a lot of people watching that tape who want to know how in the world they handled him because, I mean, we saw him last year. He was as good as this league had at times. And I think a lot of people glean some stuff from watching Florida State. And to me, that shows you what Coach Fuller's done to help that football team, to to put those guys in those positions, to take advantage of uh, of Amari Gaynor and guys like that. But also, as I was mentioning, Jermaine Johnson, um, you know, Kier Thomas, guys like that, they were making plays the other night. I thought that was just a, a really nice step forward for that side of the ball, too. The old axiom goes that if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Wes. So you're you're a neutral observer. How would you handle Florida State's quarterback situation? I, well, they've already missed my chance. I, I said on the show, I just started the first play of the game the other night. Both of them would have been on the field. I mean, I would have gone full blow on it. I would have absolutely had Jordan Travis in a slot and Mackenzie Milton take the snap and then throw a bounce pass behind the line of scrimmage to the other guy, Keith. 
I would have done it all out. <laughs> out the hell with the rest of it. Uh, I um, look. I, I think you can play both because I think. And it was funny. We were having a production meeting today ahead of Saturday night, and Roddy Jones made this comment. Tom, he says that there is a way, and you guys saw it with Georgia Tech. I mean, we used to have. You know, Josh Nesbitt couldn't throw it that well, but he was such an athlete carrying the ball, right? And then when Vad Lee kind of came to campus, when Tevin Washington was playing in Atlanta, Tevin Washington wasn't a great passer. Vad Lee was. I mean, you can do it if you have the mechanics around you to also understand. And Brian Kelly said it after the game. It was a big game plan because you had to do certain things for Jordan Travis. You had to do certain things for Mackenzie Milton. Now, I'm going to tell you, I love Jordan Travis as an athlete. You guys remember we had that Boston College TV game a couple of years ago where he came in and lit it up. And, I mean, I've I've liked him since then. But Mackenzie Milton is special people now. He's he's a different dude. He wins. And I don't think people can forget that. I mean, he came right in. And I give Kenny Dillingham and Coach Nobel a lot of credit. That first pass – that was a pass he looked like he'd thrown a million times to Ja'Kai Douglas. I mean, just kind of that little soft rainbow out into the back quarter there. I love that throw. And then the one he made to Keyshawn Helton on the third and 11, that's just a major league throw right there. I mean, there are guys on Sundays that want to make that throw. But I'm probably in the minority here, Tom. I, I think you can play both, and I think you can be successful with both. You're not in the minority on this show because I think they're going to have to play both. I don't know about Keith. Keith and I will talk more about this, but I think they're going to have to play both going forward. Well, and and I'm going to add this real quick. Look how many running backs you're playing. And I know quarterbacks a different position, and everybody talks about the different personalities. I mean, you guys aren't immune to this conversation in Tallahassee. You've had situations where you've had one or two guys who were very similar and you had to make a decision or play them both. Look how many running backs you're playing. I mean, you're right. You're playing uh, Corbin Ward, uh, Toa Feely, um, you know, DJ Douglas or DJ Williams, Ja'Kai Douglas. I mean, you're playing a bunch of different guys anyway at that position. Does it really matter who the quarterback is if you're going to roll that many guys through there? The key to all that, Wes, and, and Tom and I have talked about it, I think you would agree as well as we know you, is how well the two quarterbacks get along. If there Absolutely. is ego, If there's ego involved, it doesn't work. Well, I'm going to put you guys in the way back machine. Um, Mac Brown's early years at Carolina, uh, the one in 10, one in 10 to start. You guys remember that. And then they broke through, remember, and they beat Mississippi State, coached by Jackie Sherrill in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. And at that point in the season, Carolina was alternating quarterbacks between Mike Thomas, this big athletic kid, and Jason Stanisek, who for a while was Carolina's total offense leader all time. That's the best two-quarterback situation I've ever seen happen in the ACC because both guys knew what their strengths and weaknesses were. All I needed to see the other night, Keith and Tom, was that scene with Norvell and both kids when they came off the field. And when I saw that scene right there, I realized that both those kids understand that they need each other. Now, I don't care, and I'm, I'm going to ask Coach this on Friday, I don't think they care what anybody else thinks. And if that's the case – that's a win for Florida State, in my opinion, going forward the rest of this year. Let me go broader with the ACC here, Wes. Wasn't a great first weekend for the league, but more <laughs> to the point, and you have a show daily on the ACC network, which I'd love to tell you every Florida State fan watches, 
but a lot of Florida State fans still have Comcast. So we're, yeah, we're going to get that deal done. And there's five games this weekend, including the FSU game, that are on the ACC network. Well, it's funny. A lot of Florida State fans don't have Comcast, don't see the show, but feel compelled to comment about the content of the show. So that's been fun for us <laughs> is to realize they're not even seeing the show and yet telling us they don't like what's on the show. So, uh, But more on that down the road, I hope. I hope the Comcast deal does get done, Tom. And obviously – a lot of people in this country had the backhaul channel a couple of weeks ago where they were showing things on a channel that was labeled SEC, and yet it was ACC network content, and it was in the Northeast in Syracuse. I know they had it in Virginia. Uh, it was on in Atlanta. I heard from some people in Atlanta that day asking me, are we getting the show tomorrow? Um, so I do hope that, that we're closer and closer to that deal. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't a great weekend to start the season, but at the same time, it's just one weekend. And – I couldn't disagree more with some of the narrative of, uh, you know, the league is out of the race of the college football playoff. I mean, Clemson lost to a pretty good team. I mean, especially a very good defensive team. And look, the Carolina-Virginia Tech game was close. The Miami situation is the one that disappointed me, to be honest with you, because I – and maybe I've been fooled too many times, but I was – I thought Miami was ready to make the turn. Um, I still wasn't sure that they were a contender – in the, in the Coastal, I, I think I saw a pretty good team Saturday in Pittsburgh that a lot of people are sleeping on right now. But it's not a great week so far, but it doesn't mean it's a bad year. It's just the first Saturday. Um, and, and I was talking to somebody nationally last night, and I said, I'd rather have a bad week in week one than a bad week in week 11. Because week 11 will take you out of a lot of things if you have a bad week for a league. But um, it wasn't a great way to start. And, um, you know, a lot of people want to create a narrative behind it, but – I'm not going to buy that until they uh, show me the boards in early December. Well, the, the book says if you're going to lose, lose early. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly who wrote the book, but most of the time it is accurate. <laughs> yeah, it is, Keith. And I think that's a really good point. We saw, you know, Florida State or Ohio State lose to Virginia Tech, what, a handful of years ago in week two and then still find their way back into it, right? And I, I, think, that's a, I think that's certainly something Clemson can learn from. Clemson's really talented on defense. I, I don't. I don't understand the offensive line combinations that have not given them the results they're hoping for. Now, is that Georgia being really good the other night? That could be. But what it ultimately leads to, I'm not sure. Talking with Wes Durham from the ACC Network. He'll be on the play-by-play call for Florida State and Jacksonville State this coming weekend. Wes, news a couple of weeks ago in the wake of Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC about the alliance Mm -hmm. of the ACC – Big Ten, Pac-12, seems fairly nebulous at this point. There's some concepts out there. What do you think it amounts to? I think it amounts to quite a lot. I think a lot of it right now has to do with inside those conference rooms, though, Tom, to be honest. I don't think it's anything of hardcore. I do believe you have three guys that really, though, want to make sure that their voices and their constituency is heard. Um I don't think Jim Phillips, Kevin Warren, and George Klebikoff were guys that just wanted to be bystanders in the race to world domination by the Southeastern Conference. How's that? I, I think they were – I don't think they – they have such a broad-based constituency that I think that it was really important to them. And, and people say to me, well, why in the world are these three together? It's not real hard to figure out when you look at the membership of the Association of American Universities – these three leagues dominate that organization. And, and somebody, a lot of people have never heard of it, amazingly. 
And had I not worked at Georgia Tech a long time, I'm not sure I would have heard of it. But what I do know about that organization, it is, it's like the presidents and chancellors all join Augusta National, Keith, you know, and they're all a member of this organization. So when one person brings up an idea because they're in the club with the other people, they're more apt and ready to go ahead and buy in. And that's kind of what happened with this alliance. Um, as I understand it, and I don't know if you guys have talked to Mr. Coburn or not about it, that some of these ADs have already had fairly extensive conversations about scheduling down the road. Now, whether that's football, basketball, baseball, who knows, but I think the fact that you've got that kind of cooperation going on. Bubba Cunningham said on our show, Tom, a couple of weeks ago that one of the things he finds really interesting is the ability to trade games. Games that are already booked for some school might be traded to create another one. And, of course, Packer loved that more than anybody else because he thought, you know, that just makes your wildest dreams of scheduling come true and we could get marquee games a lot faster than what people think. And I agree with you, though. I think a lot of it has to do with just paperwork and boardrooms at this point. But down the road, I think when we get to media partners and the like, I think it could be really, really interesting and fascinating for us. And, and Wes, Tom and I have, have talked about it, and I do think the scheduling is the positive or a positive, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm glad to hear about the swapping of games or the exchange of games because that certainly would take care of some of the locked-in stuff. The other thing, though, is you know a united voice relative to the playoff, good, bad, or indifferent, whatever, whatever they, they stake they have in it. Um, certainly 30, 40 voices are better than, than uh, 14 voices. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think so. And to me, everybody says, well, those three guys are getting together because they don't want it to be 12. I, look, we know what, the, we know what the, the, the basics of the 12-team playoff are. We don't know the in-depth details of this. And the other thing we don't know, guys, is how much money's involved in this. I mean, we can speculate like, you know, celebrity gossip columnists if we want to, but the money involved has to be there. And how many different media partners is involved here? I'm not going to be terribly surprised. And look, I'm employed by ESPN, but I'll say this. I'm not going to be terribly surprised if we don't have an NFL model around the college football playoff, whereas one year it airs on ESPN, one year it airs on, you know, Fox, maybe another year it's on CBS or NBC or who knows. I I think that that's where college football wants to go. And, And when you think about it, whether you follow the National Football League or not, the National Football League, has figured out a way, and, and Rich McKay reminded me of this during the preseason. He said, hey, remember, we find a way to be on ESPN, ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, and coming soon, Amazon. That's five different ways that the National Football League is able to be on a, on a television or streaming media partner. That's what college football probably needs to do, and I think we're all kind of hesitant to admit it, but when you look at their platforms, it's pretty hard to beat. What's the biggest thing you're looking for this week in Tallahassee when, with Florida State in terms of what you referenced at Notre Dame versus mm. what you want to see them do against Jacksonville State? Well, knowing where they're going the following Saturday, uh, and I think that ends up being a really big ball game, likely for both schools, both Wake Forest and for Florida State. I want to see the Knowles take the momentum of last Sunday night and process it against a really good FCS team. I mean, John Gross has done a nice job in Jacksonville. You know, Zarek Cooper played at Clemson. He played here last year in the ball game. The idea that, you know, you've got a pretty good core group here to move forward, because I happen to think next Saturday for Florida State, 
is the difference in winning eight games as opposed to winning six games or five games. I think if you can go to Winston-Salem, and I know Wake Forest people – Wake Forest, really? Yes, Wake Forest. That guy, Dave Clawson's done a tremendous job with their program. You guys know that. I think if Mike Norvell's got this thing on any kind of blueprint for improvement – that ball game a week from Saturday is really important. So I really want to see Florida State take all of the positive from Sunday and and, and take one more step with it before then you got to go on the road in the league for the first time. Wes Durham from the ACC Network and the voice of the Falcons. Thanks for joining us. He'll be here this weekend and more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you talking Florida State football almost exclusively today after that thriller of a game on Sunday night at Doe Campbell Stadium. We're joined by our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. He is uh, participating via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well, guys. How are you? Good. We saved the the long-form conversation questions for you thus far. Just so you know, West Durham joined us last segment. But but we saved the the quarterback quandary and also the fourth down math questions for you. So Keith, where would you like to start with the quarterback since they always get the attention? Yes, who's who's going to play and how much, Bob? So I, I've I've consistently said both, and I even said you know put them both out there at the same time. I think I'm kind of adjusting that to to say I think there's times where where they're both needed. And it kind of goes against the grain of, of the old adage of, you know, having two and you don't really have one. Right now, the problem with Jordan is I, I can't have you have three turnovers in, in a game. That, that doesn't work for the team. I'm not saying they're all on him. There are circumstances such as pass protection breakdowns and, and who knows if the route was run crisply or not. Um, at the same time, you throw Mackenzie Milton out there, and and he does not have that kind of escapability. He does have mobility. He does, and we've seen it pretty consistently. He moves really, really well on that leg. But there are advantages to going with Jordan and advantages to going with McKenzie. And um, I think everybody's kind of leaning toward McKenzie right now because he's back, because they've seen it. They can see the positives there. How he adjusts the arm angles is um, is pretty phenomenal. The shovel pass the other night was was pretty crazy. It was a little bit of Favre in that kind of playground confidence that I like with with, uh, with McKenzie. Bottom line is, I think you're going to have to use both in varying degrees this season, and especially to give Dave Clawson at Wake Forest something to think about, something to prepare for, waste that coaching staff's time at Wake Forest by using both this, this coming weekend. I think that's fair, and I think that's what my answer is, too. Normally, when you talk to a defense and you're not sure who the quarterback's going to be, they always give you the same answer that, well, they run the same plays. And that may be true, although we we both know that uh, we all know there's a few different plays you'd call with Travis in there than with Milton. Uh, and the reality is you are going to have to have a different plan if you're the opposition, I would think, because they do bring some different skill sets there. I was disappointed with Travis in that he'd had a really good fall, and I'd have to look honestly, with the coaches, but I'd have to look at the all 22. It it felt to me like he abandoned the pocket early several times, i.e. instead of stepping up, he bailed and spun and ran. And then everything's, 
out of whack off time. Whereas McKenzie, he gets the ball out. And so it's not just the turnovers that Jordan had, but how many plays couldn't be executed because he didn't release the ball on time. Now, again, easy for me to say without knowing, was the guy really open? Did Notre Dame do something that it just wasn't there? I think that's very fair. I mean, it, what, what Jordan does well is escape and, and throw on the run. Does he throw on the run with accuracy is, is the obvious thing. And we saw some positives and some not. Um, he made he made some great throws, I thought, from the pocket. The Malik McLean kind of crossing route pass in stride was phenomenal. The uh, Ja'Kai Douglas deep ball, um, again, a great pass. But those, are, those seem to be, I don't want to say exceptions to the norm. It's just he doesn't have the full body of work through the pocket. He doesn't seem to want to stay in the pocket, understand the pressure, understand the time he has, trust the route. Um, I think I've heard some people say he, he's still aiming and not really throwing to, to where the guy is going to be, to where the receiver tight end is going to be. He has still a lot to, to understand. Still well under 200 passing attempts at the college level. We have to kind of take that into account. He's still very much developmental, even though he is an older quarterback with maturity, uh, with some experience now across, you know, now, now parts of three seasons. I say just design some stuff, give both of them, you know, more than more than 20 reps against Jacksonville State and just use that as another uh, evaluation tool as you get ready for Wake Forest and, and play them both. I honestly think they need to play Purdy some in this game if they can too, because I don't know when else you're going to get a chance to get him some live bullets, you know. Wouldn't mind it if they gave, say, Jordan one quarter, McKenzie one quarter, Chubba gets the third, maybe a little bit longer into the fourth. I'm with you guys. It, it's perfect opportunity to pick up experience, comfort in the system now for these guys uh, who are your two guys in the system. But for McKenzie too, he's just got to gain that kind of comfort week to week as far as what he's doing. Play, play all three of them for sure. All right, so let's get to fourth down math, which last year Mike Norvell was one of the most aggressive coaches in the country. I think Florida State was eighth nationally in fourth down attempts, and they converted at a 53% rate. But we remember there were some that were uh, – you were really backed up. They, did, they weren't successful. I think there was one at NC State that comes to mind. Uh, I've tried to block out last season for the most part, but I think that happened. The other night, so fourth and two at your own 31. I don't, I don't recall the exact time on the clock there. Uh, Mike Norvell was asked about it on Tuesday, defended it, say he'd absolutely do it again. Uh, I told Keith after the game, I said, I didn't really hate the the decision. I didn't like the call, and maybe that was the execution. But what's your general thoughts on being that aggressive? In the moment, I didn't like it. I was sitting next to Pat Burnham. He didn't like it. Right on the other side of me, he didn't like it. This is the way Mike Norvell runs. This is the way he rolls. He is going to go for it. It's It's an extreme confidence. It's, it's an understanding of the analytics and, and what he's looking at. Um, numbers that, frankly, we don't have, we, we can't kind of be privy to. But there are coaches around the country who want to roll the dice and go for it on fourth down. That's, that's what they're going to do. You know, last year, FSU was 15-28, 53.5%. I think that's pretty good. It's not phenomenal, honestly. The issue I have is when you do it on the FSU side of the 40 and you are truly rolling the dice, um, the situation, I think, in Norvell's view was Florida State had just given up two touchdowns on consecutive drives sandwich in between that Jordan had an interception and it was a really short offensive drive. So the defense don't want to say it was gas because you're coming out of halftime, but you're, you're pretty well worn down. He's trying to protect the defense 
but also spark the offense and just kind of get everybody fired up. I totally understand his viewpoint. My viewpoint, on the other hand, though, is you've got a really good punter and you've got to kind of play safe a little bit. So I would, I would have leaned toward punting it. But again, Norvell's looking at the numbers. He likes it. I, I think this is just the way he's wired. We're going to have to get used to a coach who really wants to push it and utilize all four downs. And I think that's the key because I, I too, did not like the call at the time. There's just there's two standard things that have been taught to me for years, and that may be why they're both wrong because they've been taught to me for years. But number one, you always get points on the first drive. So if you're in field goal position on the first possession of the ball game, you kick the field goal. You don't go for it. You don't go for seven. You get something out of that first drive. And secondly, you don't start going for it on fourth down until it's the fourth quarter when you're backed up. But that's, that's the old way. This is the new way. So we can just respectfully disagree. And Coach Norvell is going to do what he does. And there's going to be times when it pays off. Well, I used the, I used the example, Keith, in our, in our postgame show. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact down and distance, but it was about their own 20-yard line where P.J. Fleck went for it last week against Ohio State, got it. And Minnesota, as a result, was leading over Ohio State at the half and had them on the ropes for a little bit. So it's clearly a gamble. Now, what Norvell told the media on Tuesday was, I've got complete confidence in my defense if we don't make it. What he meant, Bob, because I was down there, is our defense is absolutely gassed. And no matter, no matter where I trot them out there on the field right now, Notre Dame's going to gash them. That, that's what I saw. So you could, <laughs> you, you, you could argue that you left yourself more time on the clock by giving Notre Dame a shorter field to work with to go in and do the inevitable, which was score. But again, that's, we need to get a fourth down math expert on the show. Uh, I, I'm not sure who that is. I know there's a lot of people who've written about it and uh, are deep into the analytics, but I'd, I'd love to have the chart. It used to be the chart that told you when to go for two. I want the chart that tells you when you're supposed to go for it instead of punt. I've not seen that one yet, Keith. And I don't believe you will because I don't think it exists in any standardized form. Every coach has got their own one. But lest I digress. Bob, Jermaine Johnson was every bit as good as advertised. He was named the ACC Defensive Lineman of the Week. Not coincidentally, and I, I didn't get an actual snap count, but he, he was not on the field for the majority of Notre Dame's first two touchdowns in the third quarter. He had gone into the locker room. So uh, that was when Quayshawn Fuller did, did play well. But it's also, I believe, when that screen pass was well executed. And maybe if you've got somebody who's more veteran, he recognizes that he's got to turn around and go the other way, the way the linemen were, were letting him leak in. But general thoughts on, on Jermaine and the defensive front. I think Jermaine was as advertised. I think he brought to you the production, the energy, honestly. I mean, he was fired up when you were watching him celebrating sacks and tackles for loss. I, I think it, it fired up everybody along that front four. I mean, they were, that was an energized group. And, and uh, I know we're kind of thinking it through as, as a pass rush standpoint, but my goodness, 65 rushing yards against Notre Dame is pretty incredible. And, and Florida State, you know, I went back and looked through some old box scores. They've allowed at least 100 rushing yards to, you know, just about everybody. Um, you go back to, I think, the, the Sun Bowl against Arizona State was the last time a, an FBS team was held under 100 yards rushing. But I, I think a guy like Jermaine Johnson just sets the tone. He, he is just truly a tone setter. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a bummer to see guys injured. We saw guys injured on a defensive front, offensive line. It affects everything. Quayshawn Fuller isn't going to be nearly as much of a player as, as Jermaine, but Quashon has shown he can be impactful, and he was coached by a Florida State guy in James Chaney, too. So I think this is part of the growing pains. It's, it's finding those second-team guys who can step in and, 
yes, there is a drop off, but they're getting that game experience to kind of be comfortable with the situations and, and figuring out what they're supposed to do and, and, and how to do it just about as well as a starter would have. One other takeaway offensively, Bob, this is a team that it doesn't have the best collection of skill talent that Florida State's ever had. There's not a Dalvin Cook or a Peter Warwick out there, but Corbin, the reports were true. He's definitely faster than he was. Keyshawn Helton showed a burst. McLean, with his size, he looked pretty darn fast uh, when he turned up field. Ja'Kai Douglas, I mean, there are some playmakers there. To me, the the what the issue, the hurdle they've got to overcome is they can't be third and way behind the chains, which they were every they were a lot in the fall camp too i mean i don't know how you you got to find a way to get four yards and three yards and be in third manageable and they just weren't there the other night yeah it's a tough situation i don't know how you um how you fix some of those issues but the collection of talent i think is emerging on these younger guys i i didn't see much from jakai douglas in preseason camp that would lead me to believe he was going to be a a big part of the game plan but here he is and he has a, a big splash play for them Malik McLean, we saw him as a receiver. We didn't really see him too much as a blocker because the scrimmages were closed, but Malik had some great downfield blocks. Um, Jayshon Corbin, I think that injury, going back to Texas A&M, for example, got a little bit, um, I don't want to say underreported, but I don't think we fully understood how significant that injury was. Again, surely a torn hamstring, one where you're back year one, but you're not fully back year one. Now we're seeing, I think, the full capabilities of what Corbin offers you. And the same with Keyshawn. He wasn't the same one year back. Um, he didn't have that burst. He was still wearing a knee brace. It, it was just clunky and, and he didn't, he couldn't use his speed. His game was speed. Um, now we're kind of seeing these guys at their best. I, I think there's, there's a true collection of, um, I feel like first and second team talent at a lot of positions. I'm still kind of looking for it at linebacker. I kind of want to see that linebacker depth really shape up and emerge to where you, you feel like you have a, a true too deep. But again, if the storyline from August was competition and depth, we're, we're really seeing that kind of emerge early on small sample size, 60 minutes, but, but against a really big time opponent, that's, that's really encouraging to see. He is our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Go ahead and subscribe to the Osceola and go to the Osceola.com 695 a month for insight like that from Bob. Thanks as always, sir. Take care guys. Thanks, More Front Row after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. front row Knowles. Well, hold on, false cue, because this thing did not do what I asked it to. This damn timer. Tell Keith to pay extra for this week, Matthew, for the extra edits. Uh, Last segment uh, coming in three, two, one. Back on front row Knowles, Tom and Keith, as we finish up, KJ, a couple of big picture questions there. The quarterback thing is going to be interesting because they both bring – something to the table I just feel like and I know I asked Bob this if you're going to be third and nine I mean Florida State commits some penalties there's enough times where they're going the wrong direction 
that if the first and second down plays don't gain anything positive, it's just it's too tough a putt to try and convert third and 12, third and 10, just third and long. Especially if you're doing it, you know, every other down, you know, so you're going to have to do it four times in a, in a possession of eight or whatever happens. Uh, you know, I agree. Um, I, I just say, particularly as it relates to getting ready for Jacksonville State, you know, just play them both. Give them, you know, even if you have to script it, even if you have to do it by quarters, give them some time and let's see what happens. The other thing we don't talk about is, you know, they didn't leave McKenzie in there because he had the hot hand per se. They left him in there because Jordan had cramps. He wasn't able to go back in. So having them both available to play because something can happen is also, you know, a very key part of this offense, in my opinion. Well, I think when Jordan Travis, he exerts so much energy, he's got to be physically done at the end of the game. So if you did play both, and I'm not normally a proponent of playing two, but you played it with two guys that made it work back in the day. I, I think there would definitely be upside to Jordan if he took a few series off. Now, as for Milton, you know, I don't know if you'd script it or if you just go by hot hand like you guys did with with Jimmy Jordan and Wally Woodham or how you'd handle that. But I do think that McKenzie, uh, I mean, he gets the ball out. He changes the arm angle. He makes throws. And you're thinking, how in the world did he just get that over the linebacker into Keyshawn? But he did. Even the shovel pass was a flair for the dramatic kind of thing, you know. So, well, And just to be clear, that shovel pass was a called play. Right. It was not an ab lib play. No, no, but I understand. He, but but he, the- he, he wasn't able to deliver it early, so he pulled it down, gave himself some time, and then it worked open and he was able to do it. I'm not taking anything away from that. That's still a great feat, but uh, don't don't any of our listeners think that he ad libbed that. That's where it was supposed to go. He just couldn't execute it easily, extended it, and then executed it very well. Yeah, McLean, the, uh, it wasn't McLean. Williamson got caught up in the wash coming across right. the line of scrimmage. Right. Yeah, but it was still a good play to be able to, you know, we look at him as he can't be mobile, and yet he's there's some quarterbacks that just have a natural gift to only move a step or two here or there, but it buys him the time, and he seems to have that sixth sense that goes with it, too, to get rid of the ball. So I, I will say this. McKenzie missed a lot of time in fall camp, and and Jordan was the better quarterback in fall camp. And so I think it's obvious why Jordan was selected as the starting quarterback. You've also got, uh, I mean, the team knows who has played better. And if that's the way it was during the fall, and then you start the guy who didn't play better, that leads to some second guessing amongst the players too. I mean, usually, you know, coaches get asked, who's your first team, who's your second team? And and the answer is, well, the players are going to decide that, you know, we figure that out in camp. They show for themselves who's number one and number two. I just, I, I think we may be doing this all season long though, Keith. In terms of, and we also don't know if Milton may not recover right away and may need some time, you know, because he's dealing with some nerve issues there too. There's certainly a lot of unknowns. And uh, again, the book says if you have two, you don't have one, but this is uh, extraordinary circumstances. And so, therefore, I say go with two, maybe even put three in there and let's just play it by ear. Shout out to the Marching Chiefs, by the way, in their new home in the north end zone and the tribute they did for Bobby Bowden at halftime. I thought that was awesome with Amazing Grace. Uh, just a really great night at Doak in general. And, and hopefully that the, – the, the thing that I was most pleased with, though, Keith, we're talking who should be the quarterback. We need a center that snaps the ball. 
you know, we're, we're, we're talking technical things about should you be blitzing on third and 17? If they're going to play with that effort for 60 minutes and play for one another for 60 minutes, this team has already grown leaps and bounds from what we've seen the last four years, period. Remember the conversations we've had over the last four down. We weren't questioning whether they blitzed on third and 17 because they were already down 28 points. We wanted them to blitz every down. And uh, we didn't worry about establishing the running game. Throw the ball downfield. We got to score in a hurry. So, yes, a, a great uh, deal of, of um, progress has been made. But the standard remains the same. Although, I will give Jermaine Johnson credit for one thing. Uh, this is the first time I've ever heard it explained this way. Uh, and it is a rationalization. So you can't take too it much was a, into it. It was a great quote, though. It was but a great it's a quote. great quote. We're, we're going to take this as lessons learned. We're not going to take you know, a moral victory. We're going to take this as lessons learned and apply them going forward. I thought that was a, that was outstanding. Yeah, he said it's not a loss, it's a lesson, is what he said. Something right. to that effect. And, yeah, everything is what you make from it. But I thought his energy was good. I mean, we're out of time here, Keith, but he single-handedly about blew up four Notre Dame drives in a row between a sack and, a, you know, a, a tackle for loss on a jet sweep and, you know, another run stuff. I mean, he was impressive. There was no question. There's right, a reason why he's the defensive lineman of the week in the ACC. He earned it. Exactly. Folks, thanks for uh, listening and uh, subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, by the way, if you're not aware, we do a recap of FSU games immediately following the games, and that'll hit your, uh, your podcast feed. So go ahead and subscribe. Until uh, next time we talk to you in the wee hours after Jacksonville State game, he's Keith, I'm Tom, and this is Front Row Knowles.